Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're still in the Psalms, man. And yeah, the Psalms are long, but the Psalms are good, right? They're good and they can be repetitive at times. But yeah, we need to be reminded consistently of some of the same truths, right? Um, So Psalm 86 will come and it'll say, be gracious to me, Lord. This is verse three. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Um, This psalmist is just talking about this lament and this petition before God. And he's crying out to God. And the problem, he shows us that the problem with our prayer life is not that we didn't pray about our situation, right? The problem is that we stopped praying about our situation, right? The dope thing, bro, the dope thing about prayer, it's it's not that it's, yeah, it's not about length or even strength, right? It's not about how long we pray or about how strong we pray. It's about how consistent we pray, right? It's about persistence. So, yeah, like a river is able to cut through rock, literally, not because of its size or its strength, but because of its continual, persistent nature. And that's something I think we have here in this text, man. Like the psalmist is like, no, 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 all day long, I'm going to continue and cry out to the true and living God. Then he'll say, Lord, there's no one like you among the gods. And there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. This is a statement about the incomparability uh, of God. And usually when this occurs in the Old Testament, it often precedes a call for the universal recognition, right, of his sovereignty. So Exodus 15 talks about this, 2 Samuel 7, 1 Kings 8, Michael 7. All these texts show us, man, that like, man, again, a major theme of the Old Testament and the Bible is that one day, man, everybody, people from all nations will have bent knees, teary eyes, and lifted voices singing praises to Yahweh, right? And this is because, yeah, of God's universal call of all people. And he says, yo, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. In truth, and man, one of the things we see is that man, life can be so so unpredictable at times. Um, but this gives us, yeah, and it life can give us a litany of things to worry about. But one thing we don't have to worry about is God's character and nature ever ever changing. He's always going to be faithful to His end of the covenant He made with us. The question is, are we right? Psalm eighty-seven comes. And it gives another anticipation of the future that is to come. So it's talking about Zion. So he said, yo, the city uh, he found it is on the holy mountains. The Lord loves Zion's city gates more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said about you, city of God. Um, yeah. So he's giving us an anticipation of the f- anticipation of the future uh, that is to come. And he's speaking about Zion, God's holy city. Now, Zion in the Old Testament signified the city of Jerusalem. Right. Particularly where the temple was located and ultimately would come to emphasize the place where salvation. Right. would come from and the place where God's people would meet and be with him at the end 
of time. And this is God's glorious city, right? The city which he loves, that which he established. He literally built this foundation. The irony is, is that the text moves to speak of all these people groups that were once enemies of Israel, right? And actually they were major, yeah, powers in the ancient Near East. So he'll say, yo, I will make a record of those who know me, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, right? Uh, Tyre and Cush, and each one was born there, right? And so basically he's saying, what is he saying? He's saying, yo, in the end, those cities, those enemies of Israel will be counted as if they were born in Zion. The, in other words, the nation in Zion represents, again, this heavenly city that, that, that comes to earth. And he's saying, yo, in other words, the nations will be born again, born from up above. And this is why Paul's theology, yo, is on point, right? In Ephesians, he's like, yo, uh, talking about the Gentiles, talking about the nations, he says, yo, at that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The death of Jesus makes this possible and makes this psalm make sense. Psalm 88 comes and it says, man, for I've had enough troubles. For my life is near Sheol. I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave, whom you no longer remember, and who are cut off from your care. Um, one of the things this psalm shows us is that for some, suffering can be so bad that even living feels like dying, right? The way the psalmist talks here, it's like he's drowning and that he's suffocating under the water of distress and affliction, but he never actually dies, right? He's drowning and suffocating, but it just, it doesn't terminate, right? He never dies. It's just ongoing and ongoing. And if you're listening to this, you probably have had seasons of life, or you may be in a season of life where this is the case. And over and over throughout this psalm, he seems to accuse God overtly of causing all of this, for letting it happen. And it's important to note here that this psalm is not describing the character of God as much as it is the state of the psalmist, right? He is in a deep emotional and spiritual turmoil. And sometimes, man, listen, sometimes when your eyes are misty and your spirit is cloudy, it is really hard to see, right? It is just so hard to make sense of things, to make sense of reality. And that's, yeah, that's where he is. This is a cry of desperation. And by the end of the psalm, you are confronted with the reality that, man, like it, it doesn't really come like to a solution. So you, you're just confronted with this reality that, man, some tensions, bro, some problems are never understood, never resolved on this side of heaven. Right. Unfortunately, man, and that's the hard reality. Um, And but the good news is, yeah, it is. This isn't something that just is true for you. This is true for all of us. Right. This is true for us. This is true for me. This is true for the person you look up to. Right. 
Um, you know, and once again, we have to remember, man, that, you know, um, we are permitted to question and doubt as long as we remember the context in which we should question and doubt. And that's in prayer and that's on our knees and that's amidst tears and that's in the midst of worship to the God of the universe. Psalm 89 comes and it's the last one in this bunch and it says, um, you know, it talks about, man, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. And it's fitting that, yeah, it comes out of Psalm 88. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth, for I will declare faithful love is built up forever and you establish your faithfulness in the heavens. Uh, one of the things you, you realize as you come to the Psalms, the Psalms are not meant to be swallowed, but they are rather meant to be savored. Right. They are meant to be meditated on and dealt with and wrestled with and held on to for long. That's how we get the most out of them. It's like a rag. Right. You don't get the most water out of a rag just by shaking it. Right. But by wringing it out. Right. And we see here that the psalmist in one sense you know, is praising God for his faithfulness. Right. And as you go on and you read, he's specifically praising him for the Davidic covenant where God made his promise to David that his offspring would be forever, that his throne would be forever, right? He'd have this dynasty. And, um, you know, he speaks of the way God created and sustains and tames all things as well, right? The stars, he's like, yo, basically stay fixed in constellations because of you, right? You tame in uh, the seas, right? And then he goes on to talk about God's character, his moral uh, equity that God has, you know, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, right? Faithful love and truth go before you, right? And then not only that, you rule over the universe, right? With all of these things. And this is foundation language, meaning that um, righteousness and justice is a pedestal or a platform in which God builds and establishes his majesty. And he talks about, you know, his anointed one, and how his line will continue and the faithful love, right? All these good things. And then verse 38, does it shift? Verse 38, he says, but you have spurned and rejected him. You have become enraged with your anointed. You have repudiated the covenant with your servant. You have completely dishonored his crown. You have broken down all his walls. You have reduced his fortified cities to ruins. In one sense, he seems to talk about the promises of God. But then he, he gets this perplexity. And you know why? Because there seems to be an incongruity with the promises of God and the problems that he sees in his life. Right. And that's it. That's our story, man. Like we know the promises of God. And it's like, yo, God said all of these great things he's doing. He uh, he has done. He is doing and will do. But it seems like the way the problems of my life have set up, they're like mismatched socks with who God is and what he said. Right. But look at verse 49. He says, Lord. Where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? Man, sometimes all we can do is cry out to God. Right. And that's what he does. That's our best bet. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the hands of the dynasty that God had promised to David. Right won't come to fruition without God's provision, his protection, and his his providence. When the problems of life come and swelter us, we have to remember God's provision, God's protection, and God's providence. 
Father, we thank you um, that, uh, you know, you love us, you care for us, and that you're going to establish your promises, even if our problems are crazy. Help us to trust in your provision. 